meaningless thought The shell appears strong But the inside is right It's time to be stirred The time is now The winds have changed Read the signs No time to hide The winds have changed Millennia ago from the little cave on the tiny island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, the heavens opened. Since then, the world has been fascinated by the cosmic upheaval brewing on the horizon of history. The upheaval is now upon us. It is within us. To some degree, it always has been. But there has been a sudden and violent shift in the affairs of the world. The winds have changed. Heaven will not be silent. Let's now join Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Koska, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago, and author of A Mother's Plea, For the Winds Have Changed. Together we can pave the way for a hopeful response to the signs of our times. And good Monday afternoon. This is Mary Helen Fiorito. I am the Cardinal Francis George Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., along with the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. And I am joined by my dear friend and colleague, Loretta Freilich, a former retired prosecutor for the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. Loretta, how are you today? Mary, I'm just fabulous. Good. And good weekend? Excellent weekend. Good, 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 excellent. Good. How about you? Uh, let's see. Um, it's all a blur now. It's Monday morning and the whole weekend is a blur. It was, uh, you know, it was good. I, I think um, uh, last week, you know, I wasn't here because I've had uh, sick kids uh, to deal with and we're on the tail end of whatever it is they had. So we had a little bit of a relapse with one of them over the weekend, but um, we managed to rally. So wound up having to go to 530 Mass on Sunday night, which I never like to do. I would rather go to Mass. My grandfather had, was very... My grandfather thought you were a bad Catholic if you went to Mass like after <laughs> 9 a.m. I'm not kidding. He really did. Like he was very judgy about that. Uh-huh. Um, because you you were putting something else before God if you were going to mass that late. So, mm. um, yeah. So, but thank goodness we have it because otherwise, you know, we we wouldn't have made it at all. So I I was grateful for the opportunity. It was not, you know, those those Sunday evening masses though. There's something. There's no music or, or minimal music, I should say, and so it's kind of it's shorter and it's it's kind of reverent and to the point, you know. Yes. Um, yes, I do. So, uh, how about you? What did you do this weekend? Well, I ended up hitting the children's mass, which uh, is. Filled with all kinds of activities. Yes, it but is. But a wonderful opportunity for the parents to worship with their kids. So it was busy. Yes. But on Saturday, I had the opportunity to attend. It's just been a saint-filled couple of days. And on uh, Saturday, I had the opportunity to attend what they advertised as Fulton Sheehan Day. And okay. I don't know if you're a, one of the times that you were tending to those sick kids. Right. Uh, we had Dr. Peter Howard, who's head of the Fulton Sheehan movement, on the show, and he gave a great presentation. Three different talks. They all could have been their own, but it was a wonderful opportunity. Oh, fantastic. Yes. He is an, another uh, a great treasure that we yes. were so fortunate uh, to be from Illinois. But uh, yes. speaking of saints who are great treasures with connections to Illinois and to Chicago more specifically, uh, we are really honored today to have the producer of a new movie that's going to be coming out on March 8th, World 
Women's Day, or the International Day of Women, I think is what it's uh, called. Uh, and that is Leo Severino, who is the producer, in addition to being the producer of Sound of Freedom and Little Boy, uh, is also the producer of the new film Cabrini. And Mr. Severino, do we have you? You do. Hello, Mary. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. We've been really looking forward to this. Mr. Severino. Thank you for having me. This has been, I mean, I want to talk about your brilliant film, Cabrini, but I first want to ask this question. What does a producer do? (laughs) It's a fine question. People have no idea. (laughs) No, we don't. That's why we're hoping it's okay that we started with that, because we really don't know. And, and unfortunately, the, uh, the credit is bandied about in Hollywood for all kinds of different things. But traditionally, which is uh, in the vein that I work, a producer is the person who, sh- who shepherds the project from, from beginning all the way to the end. Okay. So they, 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 they find the project, they hire the writer, they raise the funds, they oversee the development of the script, they att- you know, and then they sign off on the script, and they attach the director, and then they control the budget and the schedule to try to get the vision of the director across, and then in post-production, um, they, uh, they, they work with after the director's cut to get a final edit, and then they make sure that it's distributed and put into theater. So it's kind of like, you know, the, uh, the contractual business physical production uh, helm. So you're like the, the general director. contractor for the film. <laughs> right. Kind of. The yeah, Jack exactly or Jill where, of know. all trades involved in yeah. the movie. In, indeed, yes, indeed. Well, how did you get involved with this particular project? Well, with Cabrini, um, it was it was it was very interesting. Uh, our funder for our first film, and uh, and by our, I mean myself, Alejandro Monteverde and Eduardo Verastegui, who were, we, we our first film was Bella. Yes, oh, fun- one of my favorites. One of yes. mine. Yes. Thank you so much. And, and by the way, thank you for all your good work at uh, UBC with Ryan Anderson and everyone there on, on Life Issues. You guys are just wonderful. Oh, thank but, you. Um, when, when Bella, um, uh, when we when we first did Bella, it was financed by one individual, Eustace Wolfington, and he has had this devotion to Mother Cabrini his entire life, hmm. and he was at the time around uh, 89 years old. I think he's 92 now, and he called me and he said, "I, I want to make a film about Mother Cabrini." And I said, "Mother who?" <laughs> <laughs> Mother With a name like the, Severino, uh, you didn't know who Mother Cabrini was? To, to my great shame. Oh, uh, my goodness. Practicing Catholic with Italian uh, background. Do your parents I, know, I know this? <laughs> like, have you been public uh, well, about this? I'm very worried for you. crazy? Yeah. No, I'm very, I'm okay. very ashamed. I, Proceed. Fact, no, you I, don't have to be ashamed. I'm just well, shocked like you survived this long. And no right, shame well, after you've made this brilliant film. That, there you go. You've more than made well, up for it. Okay. Well, well thank you. But let, let me ask you, ladies, who was who the first uh, American saint? Mother Cabrini. Yeah, well, so right, the first native-born is Elizabeth Ann Seton, but yes. the first American Exactly. Yeah. And so I always thought, I always thought it, was, it was Elizabeth Ann Seton, but she was the first native-born. Canada Correct. before her was American citizen uh, Mother Cabrini. And, of right. course, once you're a citizen, you're an American, as she believed to be the case. Yes, um, of course. But anyway, so he, so he told me about, about this, uh, this great nun, this great saint, and... Um, and I said, you want to make a film about a nun from the 1900s and no one knows? <laughs> I said, okay. I don't know. I don't know if that's the wisest idea. And then he was basically like, ye of little faith. And he sent me a book on her life. And it's just extraordinary. Yeah. All of her accomplishments, uh, what she had to overcome, uh, the, the struggles for her health, you know, the given, you know, just years to live most of her life. Anti-Catholic, uh, anti-immigrant, yes. anti-Italian, anti-woman yes. bigotry she had to overcome. I mean, it's just an incredible story. So I thought we have to do something. Yeah. Oh well, I'm so, I'm so gl- grateful that you did. Well, I'll, I'm going to hit you back with a trivia question. Where did Mother Cabrini die, Leo? She, she 
she died precisely where she prophesied she would die, at West Park in New York. No. She was buried there. That's no. not true. She died in Chicago. What? She She's buried where she prophesied she'd be buried. That ah, is correct. See, yes. this is another little, you know, like the uh, first American-born, first native-born. This is another little technicality here. But, you know, right. she died here in Chicago at the hospital that she founded. Columbus. Here, uh, Columbus, Columbus Hospital. hospital. Yes. Right. Yes. And, How about um, that? Yeah, and then the the miracle for her uh, canonization, you know, was a little boy who was born at Columbus Hospital. Uh, he's now a Catholic priest, Father Peter Smith, and he. Uh, so the the sisters at the hospital who also worked as the nurses, you know, when a baby's born, they put those little drops into their eyes. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what they are, but they put the wrong thing in, and it blinded him. And so they promised mother. Uh, if his, you know, they pr- they prayed to mother and uh, for his sight to be restored, and he was completely healed. He got complete restoration of his sight. So that was mother's. Uh, that was the miracle for mother's canonization. Isn't that wonderful? So yeah. So there. So at your next Cabrini party, you can you can impress people with that. So we're very well, sensitive thank, thank about thank this in Chicago. Oh no, it. it's not a correction. Yeah. It's just a clarification because you're absolutely right. Yeah. New York stole the body, uh, as they did <laughs> as they did with Fulton Sheen's, and took right. off with it. And now we don't have it. It's very unfair. Right, and and Leo, you need to come when you come to Chicago. You need to come to the shrine that is there. It has the, her room all laid out. It has the um, blanket that she had on her, and there's even um, the stain from her blood where when wow. she died, yeah. she coughed into that. And it's really such a beautiful and holy place. And uh, you can feel her presence. Yes, you can. You know, and she was, you know, it's interesting. There's a there's a lady in my parish who, whose parents knew Mother Cabrini because, of course, she, she did a lot of work in the little, what we call Little Italy. It's not really much of a neighborhood anymore here in Chicago. But a lot of people remember her. And they remember her because they were terrified of her. Because she, I'm not kidding. Oh, no, she would go door to door to people's houses, at, you know, when she was, you know, begging for money for that to build the hospital yes. for the whatever the orphanage yes. was she was building at the time. And, um, I mean, she didn't take no for an answer. Let me put it to you that way. So um, she was just, uh, she was both uh, revered and, um, you know, struck fear into the hearts of the residents. And as I think you point out, you know, you show it in the movie very beautifully. She was a tiny little thing. She was only about five feet tall, right? That's right. In fact, I was at uh, her shrine here in New York City just yesterday. We're here for the premiere, mm. uh, and and uh, I was uh, well. First, you know, her, her most of her body is there. Her heart is in Codonio, uh, which is incorrupt. I don't know if you ladies knew that. Oh, I did awesome. not know that. Oh, that's a very yeah. good one. Oh, I didn't know and, that. And then uh, and then they have they have her habit on a uh, on a little mannequin there. Um, she is tiny. She's tiny. I, I just I, I couldn't believe it because in my head, you know, the actress who plays her is a little taller than that, and she's just larger than life. So you, you don't expect this this this, this tiny little. Uh, there's a there's a quote from uh, from the uh, from the Pope in the film, um, which we took from a bishop in one of his letters. He said, "For a tiny woman, she makes a lot of noise." <laughs> yeah, and that's apparent. I can confirm that just from you know, I, I uh, my. Uh, married name is Fiorito, but, uh, but my, my my parents actually were immigrants. They were from Scotland, but um, but I married an Italian American, and his family, you know, everybody in in the neighborhood where we live now with our kids, um, has some connection uh, to Mother Cabrini, and Loretta has one. Oh yes, my grandmother uh, was head of the Catholic Women's Association here in Chicago, and she had permission 
from the church to drive Mother Cabrini to doctor's appointments, to wherever she needed to go, my grandmother. Wow. Yes. So your and, grandmother was like a second-class relic then? Yes, she my grandmother was a second-class relic. Yes. a second-class relic. Yes, mother was I could only you, retrieve it. A, I think that makes you a third-class relic. Yeah, there you go. Yes, I'm using that, Leo. But can I ask you a quick question about making this film? Of course. Did anything out of the ordinary that you attribute to the intercession of Mother happen during the filming? Well, when you, when you see the film, you'll notice that the oh. first listed executive producer is uh, Francesca Cabrini. Uh, we, oh, we really, no kidding! No, we really felt her, her presence throughout. One of the, the greatest, uh, there was plenty that are, that are just obviously, these things show to happen. You know, the, 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 I don't know if it's typical, but it's typical in... Uh, in production that you're running out of time and you only have a certain amount of time to shoot. And of course it starts raining. Of course. And we're like, you know, we can't, we're not going to be able to get this shot. And then it was like, we only have an hour left. And if we don't get this shot, well, then it's going to mess up the entire schedule. We're going to go over budget because this location has to be closed. And then we have to leave. We have to, we have to move the crew. And then we have to come back from oh, other, you wow. know, all that sort of stuff. And it's the last hour of the day. And of course, just for that hour, it stops raining just where we were standing. Oh, that's just incredible. Where, you know, according to the, uh, to the uh, weather GPS, it was raining everywhere. And according to Mother Cabrini, it wasn't raining while we were filming. So oh, that, wow. that, that, that happened. But then it was also uh, the fact that we, sh- we shot during COVID. It was a pretty major production. It was a big period piece. You know, we had to sure, recreate right. the eight, 1800s. And so um, we started filming during COVID. And we had nine different breakouts of COVID on set. Oh, my. And we're, we're, the, we're the only film that we know of that had that many breakouts and, and was never shut down. We never stopped. Wow. So Thank you, Jesus. Wonderful. Oh, yeah. that's no, beautiful. We, well, you know, I, I'm so intrigued now that you, that you mentioned Mother's heart was incorrupt because she, of course, is the, the founder of the Missionary Sisters of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I worked, Leo, for the church for many years before I joined EPPC and worked with a couple of her sisters. Um, the MSSH is the, the, the initials that they have after their name. So she right. had this huge devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And to learn now that her heart is incorrupt, um, I mean, what a beautiful sign from our Lord. Yes. It just makes sense, doesn't it? And, and like you said, her heart, she was, she was definitely feared, but feared for all the right reasons. She, she feared because yes. she, she, she made people face their own um, inadequacies and, yes. and their own, um, their own weaknesses. She has, she has a saying, and it's in the film where she said, "I can either serve my weakness or I can serve my purpose, not both." Right. Um, and and she then that's what she lived by. She's like, listen, we're 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 called here to to do as much good as possible. So let's not rest until uh, until we've left it all on the field, sort of thing. And she reminds me of someone actually, who, similar sort of thing. Uh, in in 1946, when Mother Cabrini was canonized, there was a young nun who was at the canonization. She was part of an order called the Loretto Order of Youngs, which was a teaching order. Right. And yeah. inspired by Mother Cabrini, she. A couple months later, she left the order and started her own order of missionaries, and that is Mother Teresa. Yes. So Mother Teresa was inspired. And, of course, we hear the same thing. Mother Teresa, if she knocks on your door, you don't know what's going to happen. She might, <laughs> yeah. she might say, 
your house is no longer your house. You need to give it to the poor. Right. And you guys, you know, you're going to go over there and we'll, we'll figure it out, you know? Jesus tells me he needs your house. Bye. Right. You've got, yeah, you've got exactly. to learn to get out. Um, I, you know, uh, Loretta and I have both uh, had the opportunity now to preview the film in oh, anticipation of our, our conversation with you, Leo. So there's, um, I mean, I, there's, there's so much we could delve into, but I, you know, I, and I love that it's being released on uh, the International Day of the Woman because, um, first of all, and I, you know, I know this from being married to an Italian. I don't think some people realize how how the hatred of Italians in this country when they first arrived here. I mean, right. you know, we, we know about the, you know, Irish need not apply signs in Boston, but that paled in comparison um, to the way in which Italians were treated. So you take she is Italian and she is a woman on top of it. And there's um, I don't think I'm giving away the, the movie by saying this, but there's a terrific scene where she's meeting with the mayor of New York, and this is in the trailer, so I guess it's not bad for me to talk about it. And, you know, when he talks about how, he says, you know, you would have made a wonderful man, mother. But also, you know, when she when she says to him, uh, you know, essentially, I, I, I kind of, after I watched the movie, I'm like, she's like, the, she's like a female Al Capone because she essentially says to him, you know, nice job you got there, mayor. It'd be terrible if something happened to it, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, that would yeah, be a yeah. shame if something happened to that job you have. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. but, you know, and I, I know of a, another person who was able to preview it who, who, who thought that scene kind of made her look sinful. And I said, no, she was merely no. reminding him, yes. actions have consequences. Absolutely. All of our actions have consequences. And his treatment of the Italian was going to have a consequence once everybody there became citizens and could vote. I mean, I, I didn't think that was, I thought that was an appropriate use of, um, you know, the situation that the Lord allowed her to be in in that moment. Right. You know, she had, she had that sort of wisdom. And she had that, that, that grace, you know, when it says in, in the scriptures how, you know, don't don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the word sort of thing. Right. And it, 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 there's so many moments in her life that reminded me of the time when they're trying to get our Lord to, to commit to mm-hmm. the, uh, to the tax, you know, to the state as opposed to the temple. And, and he, you know, he takes the coin and he says, whose, whose image is on the coin? Get to Caesar, what is Caesar? Get to God, what is God? To me, that's one of those moments where she was just stating the fact. Here, here's the fact. The Italians, uh, uh, I have I have an in, shall we say, with the Italian community, and we're talking millions strong. And she says, you know, someday there's going to be an Italian who's going to be sitting in that chair, <laughs> and, he, right. and he's going to be in this office. He's not going to be cleaning it, right? And so right. Yeah. And his name will be and, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, actually, before him it was uh, it was Laguardia. Oh, that's yes, right. Of course. Of course. Yes. Whom the, whom the airport is named after, right? And that was. And and by the way, by some accounts, he was actually a Cabrini. Um, he was he was involved in the Cabrini orphanage somehow. I don't know if wow. he was copying or something like that. So it's pretty it's pretty insane. But yes, you're right. There's nothing there's nothing sinful. It's actually very shrewd and very prudent for her to say, These people vote. Do you want yes. their support? Yeah. Right. No, I thought that was very, very clever and I didn't think there was an ounce of sinfulness in it at all. No. So. And I love the scene where, uh, to show her loving side, when the sister presents the fabric for the children's clothes, and she chooses the most expensive, and she feels the fabric and chooses the most expensive and says, our children must have the best. Right. <laughs> so they would right. be, yes, they, can, uh, they could she be poor, so but they much, wouldn't have to look poor. She thought that what was what was missing in that society at the time, and coincidentally, probably the same today, is how few people are treated with the dignity that's, that's, that's deserving of the human spirit. Right. And she... And as know, children another, of God. There's yeah. another scene. If you guys remember the scene when they first arrived in New York, it's based on, on true events. The priest that was going to pick them up, he, he was 
a little bit uh, put off that she was coming because he thought it was a signal that he wasn't doing his job, which, by the way, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Yeah. But, but he, didn't, he didn't pick her up, and so they wound up seeing the first night. And this is true at a place that actually doubles as a brothel. Right. And so on, on, on their way, looking around for, for a place to stay, they run into this, this woman of the night, shall we say, who worked at this brothel. Victoria. Victoria. Mm-hmm. And you guys remember the scene where she says, you know, can you please help us find a place to stay? Well, the way this was directed, at this point in the story, the audience already knows she's built orphanages and convents in, in, in Italy. She's very capable. She, you know, wouldn't take no from the answer from a cardinal or even from the Pope himself, right, and won over the Pope. Uh, so Cabrini didn't need anybody's help to find a place to stay. The reason she asked this prostitute to help her is because in so doing, and this is from her letters, she gave them dignity. Amen. She's saying, I need you. I need you. You're not, uh, I'm no better than you. In fact, in this moment, you are better than me. You can help me. I need something from you. Wow. Right. And, you know, the, the prostitute oh, stops I and, didn't, and thinks about it. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I didn't realize that was from yes. her letters. I thought that was maybe just a, you know, a, perhaps a little bit of an embellishment, you know, to um, to uh, accelerate the plot. But that is that is spectacular. Well, listen, I, uh, Leo, can you hang over with us past this uh, break for a little bit sure. uh, longer conversation? Terrific. This is Mary Fiorito and Loretta Freilich here on Winds of Change on AM 750 WNDZ. Don't go away. You can help save a life by praying for an end to abortion in your community. Find a 40 Days for Life vigil nearby. Visit 40daysforlife.com. 40daysforlife.com to help save a life. <laughs> you are listening to Mary Fiorito and Loretta Freilich on Winds of Change. I'd like to suggest the most important thing you can partake of this Lent. I'm referring to that which contains the whole spiritual good of the church. Yes, your entire spiritual good. Listen to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1324. The Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. The other sacraments, and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and works of the apostolate, are bound up with the Eucharist and are oriented toward it. For in the blessed Eucharist is contained the whole spiritual good of the church, namely Christ himself, our posh, end quote. Jesus himself longingly awaits you daily in Holy Mass and in the monstrance or tabernacle. I'm Jim Littleton, forming FaithfulFamilies.com. Welcome back, listeners. This is Loretta Freilich and Mary Fiorito, and we have the privilege of talking to the producer of the brilliant film Cabrini. And I want oh, to the ask. The privilege is mine. Thank you, ladies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I want to ask you, Leo. Hospitals were such a, 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 a thing of Mother Cabrini. She was going to get health care that met the dignity of the, each human being, whether they were rich or poor. But I, I really, how did you come up with the opening scene? I think it's of Paolo's mother. He's pushing her in the wheelbarrow. To tie it in with, then she goes on to open these hospitals. Yes, well, the, you know, it's a great credit to our, our, our screenwriter, Rod Barr, mm-hmm. and, uh, and our director, Alejandro Monteverde. They, they both had a, a, an image for a, a bit of um, overcoming the stereotype sure. of what a nun is, right? Most people, you know, if you're not around nuns on a regular basis, as I'm sure 
you ladies are, you know, you don't get a sense of exactly how special they are and how trusting and how in tune with the divine they are. And, um, and maybe there's an image of, you know, kind of a stern nun with a ruler, you know, <laughs> smacking a kid at a, you know, that sort of We've thing. We've had both. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we thought that the way to, to kind of break the stereotype right off the bat is not to start, you know, seeing her in prayer or, you know, anything like that. We wanted to go straight to the issue of the heart of what she was dealing with, and that's a little boy running through the streets of New York with his mom in a wheelbarrow trying to find a place for yes. someone to take her. The, the, the hospitals there wouldn't take Italians. Oh. Um, and so the, and so he's running, and eventually she, uh, without giving too much away, she, she, she winds up dying in that wheelbarrow in the middle of the street. Right. Um, and that, that, is, um, that was based off of, uh, of, of real events. That was based off of real, not, not Mother Cabrini's life, but other events that happened sure. in that time. Sure. And so we wanted to show here, this is what Mother Cabrini's stepping into. Yeah. Yes. So tell me, um, Leo, about the development of the script, because you've referenced now Mother's Letters. Um, who wrote the script, and then um, what kind of research and um, other work did they do to really make it? I know it, it, the film itself is based on a true story, so I know every single thing that happened isn't necessarily 100% accurate. But um, tell, tell me about how you worked to make this a really authentic film. Well, it was the task of our screenwriter, Rod Barr, Originally, and then along with our director Alejandro Montaverde afterwards to to keep everything authentic, because uh, you know Mother Cabrini deserves it. But because the the reality is actually far greater than our than our film. I mean, we had to jam pack so many years of her life into just a couple of hours on screen, right? right? But before he he started writing the script, he read pretty much every book that we could find on her life. I think there was twenty six books about Mother Cabrini or her letters or something like that. Okay. So after he, after he was reading as he was reading those books. Our, uh, our executive producer, Yusuf Wolfson, sent him to Codonio, Italy, to her convent where there's the Mother Cabrini, where her order is, and the historians are there to go through all the files. So, for example, the scene where she storms the Senate, if you guys know what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, 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 scene. yes. It's not in any of the books, but it was in the local paper in Italy at the time that that happened. Oh, and that's you're how we kidding. found that. Oh. And then after, afterwards, he sent him to Rome to the archives to read about her canonization and her trial and the devil's advocate and all that sort of stuff. Then he went to the shrine in New York, to the shrine in Chicago, to the shrine in uh, Denver, to the shrine in Los Angeles. And after doing all that, walking her footsteps across America, then we're like, now you're ready to write the script. So our, our screenwriter is now probably the preeminent uh, Cabrini historian, you know, around as far as we know. Mm. What book did your, uh, the, person who wanted you to do this movie, what book did they give you to read? It was, it was, it was a book by Sister Mary Louise. Um, so I, I forget the title. Maybe it's The World is Too Small, I think. Okay. I think it's the title. Um, yes, and that was the one that uh, I was like, okay, there's, there's definitely a story here. Wow. And the all the material that your screenwriter read, what would you recommend, if anything, to people who are going to be compelled to follow up about Mother Comprini after seeing your film? Well, anything that has her letters is, is pretty awesome because you get the first-hand account of what she went through of her crossing the ocean 12 times, even though she was afraid of, <laughs> of water. Of water as <laughs> yeah, afraid of water uh, because she almost drowned when she was young. She had tuberculosis as a kid, uh, compromised her immune system, compromised her lungs. She almost had a smallpox. I mean, it's just thing after thing. So anything with her letters I would recommend. Um, but really... Uh, any of the sources, any of those uh, uh, sources on the Cabrini are great. The, the, the more, you know, there's, there, there isn't one particular source. The, the more you can find out about her, the better, because you're just going to be inspired. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, and so let's, can we talk a little bit, because I, the film itself, just as like a piece of art, is yes. so stunning. And it looks, so it looks like you actually filmed a good part of it in Italy. Am I correct about that? Correct, yes. We filmed in Buffalo, New York, where we replicated 1800s Manhattan. Um, and then we filmed in Rome, Italy. But you're right, the cinematographer, his name is Corka. He did uh, Sound of Freedom with us and hopefully does everything we're doing after this. He's just an absolute genius and the director had incredible vision. He said, I don't want to make a motion picture. He said, I want to make a motion painting. I want every, everything to feel like a painting, to have that impressionistic uh, sense to it so that even though we're dealing with the reality of of some really, really harsh conditions, nonetheless, there's always something of the sublime to it. Yes. Um, that, that, was, that was the idea. So I uh, thank you for, for appreciating that because I think that, quite frankly, that's, that's very Catholic in 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 the approach to art, right? Oh, of to course, have it, right. Try to be at the high at the highest level, and that's what that's what we're attempting. Hopefully, we're succeeding. Yeah, you know, and that's what uh, Bishop Robert Barron is um, often talking about, right? The true, the good, and the beautiful will attract people. And so, I'd, I'd like just, if if I may, um, to talk to you a little bit about sort of, I guess, the strategy for introducing Mother Cabrini to an audience that isn't Catholic and who might not otherwise be interested in a story. I know Mother Teresa sort of has a She's got a universal appeal, um, you know, I mean, everybody from Princess Diana to presidents and stuff would want to have their picture taken with Mother Teresa. Mother Cabrini yeah. is a little less known. So um, I, I, what, what was the, what is the way in which the film attempts to reach? I, I noticed um, that there's not a whole lot of scenes of Mother praying, Mother Cabrini praying or Mother in church or, you know, there's obviously it's clear she's a sister. And she's religiously motivated, but that's not the focus of the film, which I found fascinating. Can you talk well, a little bit about that aspect of it? Well, that's not the focus of the film because it wasn't even in her own writings. It wasn't the focus of her, her of her uh, public life. Right. Mm -hmm. um, her, the prayer life of the nuns kept very private and public. They said, "Our work is our prayer. Ah. We want to be the, the hands and feet by being out there in the world." Right. Um, but nonetheless, there's 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 even a, a a prayer in Latin in the middle of the film, right? You can't avoid it. It's it, it, it and not that we were trying to avoid it, uh, but you know, it's it was it, she's imbued with her spirituality, which is uh, hopefully obvious in the film and it comes across. But the story really was um, was about the entirety of her of her. It's an origin story relative to what she did in this world. When you come from nothing and you don't speak the language, and you're poor, and you're a woman, and you're an immigrant, and you're Italian, and you're a Catholic, in a world that's contrary to all that, um, how do you go from there to building the largest charitable empire the world had ever seen, larger than the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers combined? Yes. I mean, wow. like, uh, how, does, how does that happen, right? And to, to me, or to us, that, that's, that's a universal story. That's a story yeah, about yes. a, a great woman who kind of happened to be a nun, yes. right? Okay. But, but 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 primarily, it's a universal story that's meant to inspire everyone, just like you said, Mother Teresa did. Right. Well, Mother Cabrini is, is in many ways a predecessor to Mother Teresa. To Mother Teresa. Oh, no, she if absolutely Mother was. Yeah. Inspired, if Mother Cabrini inspired Mother Teresa, and Mother Teresa inspired the world, then the world should be inspired by Mother Cabrini. That's our that's our thought process. Right. Praise right. God. And um and I you know there's something sort of interesting. I I know you know it's funny how the Lord sometimes does this. You know Mother. 
Teresa, I think, was someone who didn't want to draw any attention to herself unless it would somehow um, redound to the benefit of the poor. And it wasn't until, um, oh, the English author, I'm trying to think, uh, wrote the book about her, Malcolm Mugridge, yeah, wrote the book about her, that that kind of outed her to the world. Um, but I think she would have pre- preferred to have stayed hidden. And, you know, again, the, the because of Mother Teresa being here in Chicago for so long, um, and we have a lot of her sisters are here. And so one of the things I've learned, you know, over there is just interacting with them. Uh, is that they're, they very much lean on what they call this Cabrinian spirituality. Um, mm. Did you read about any of that, what they call the Cabrinian spirituality, which has to do with, um, obviously, a great devotion to the Sacred Heart, um, yeah. and that it, it's uh, we lead with our hearts with love for our Lord, which leads us into our work. That's right, yeah. And it, every every branch of, of their mission you know, started with Mother Cabrini, uh, from education to uh, care for the poor, to the hospitals, it, it, their motto is "We lead with the heart." So it's an education of the heart. It's you know, it's applied for the poor from the heart, so on and so forth. So it's very much centered around love. She says, "There's a quote from Mother Cabrini. You know, the world is broken, and only love can heal it." Amen. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you that I think the Italians really helped your film because I think the bow under Mother Cabrini's chin, from her cap, made her even more. Oh, uh, it's so elegant It fabulous. is so elegant yeah. and fabulous. You can't dismiss her. It, it, it just, I, I know it sounds kind of maybe from a woman's perspective, but that gentle little bow with the well, long. Well, it's like with her picking up the kids' clothes, right? She, yes. She, she was a woman of detail, right? Yes. And so those little details mattered to her. But, yes. Um, so uh, let, let's talk a little bit, Leo, about how, how we're marketing this to the rest of the world and how we, um, obviously, you know, we, Loretta and I move in a very Catholic media uh, environment, so we've been aware of the film for some time now. But how do we help spread the word about this? And do you have any advice for, say, you know, I have a number of friends, like law school classmates and stuff, who haven't darkened the door of a church since my wedding. <laughs> and um, and I'd love for them to see this, but I don't want to, you know, it's one of those things where, like, I don't want to kind of say, oh, it's not really a religious film. You know, it, what it, should, it isn't. It's more of a historical film. But by the same token, I don't want to diminish um, what motivated Mother. Well, I think, too, yeah. Mary, one of the things that we all need to remember is when love leads, it has no Boundary. It has no guideline. If when love leads, like she did, and she was ferocious in how yeah. she loved, and it was that love for the children. I mean, without letting more out than I should, when she yeah. goes down into the sewer and finds the little girl dead, and and then if the world won't bury her, our children will bury her. Mm-hmm. You're like. And she's crying in the scene. She's sobbing over the loss of this one child. So, you know, when love leads, it crosses all religious. She was crying because she really believed. You could tell in the story that she'd gotten to her earlier. That wouldn't have happened. Yes, right. No, yes. But, just been there, yeah. I think the, the best thing by way of marketing this film is if you guys believe it is a great film, then that's going to be the, that's going to be what 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 trumps everything. Okay. Right. Because we're, we're, we didn't set out to make a religious film. We didn't set out to not make a religious film. We set out to make a great film right. about a great saint. Right. And if we've achieved that, then hopefully that will be the light that's going to help shine on uh, you know to the world. And 
Angel Studios, who, who you might know from The Chosen. Yes, sure. we're and big fans of The Chosen. Yeah. Yeah, they distributed Sound of Freedom as well. You know, they, they, they're just wonderful marketers, um, and they know how to, how, to, how to mobilize the audience, but even for Sound of Freedom, what, what took it over to the next level, you know, some people say it was all the controversy behind it, and in a certain sense it was, to mobilize a certain segment of the audience, but when, when, when we saw the exit polls, it was actually even divided between left and right. Mm-hmm. Both sides of the aisle went, went to see Sound of Freedom, and I think it's because of the strength of the film, and hopefully it's the same here with, with Mother Cabrini, that this, mm-hmm. people recognize this as a universal story yes. that's going to that's gonna, that's gonna touch everybody's hearts and inspire everybody, no matter what your, your faith or creed or religion is. You know? Well, tell us about how um, you know, our listeners can see this, how they can watch the preview. Where do they go to find out this information? Well, it's going to be released on International Women's Day, March 8th, and, of course, that's by design. Our, our thought was we're going to plant a flag on this holiday and say, here, Excellent. if you're going to celebrate a woman, well, here's a woman that's really worth celebrating throughout the world. She's impacted millions of people and only to the good. Um, and uh, tickets are available even now. The, the, the release is March 8th, but tickets are available even now at angel.com slash Cabrini. Okay. And as um, now, someone told me that uh, Angel, when they do distribution, that they prefer to use AMC theaters. So, will they? Will the movie be available largely in those theaters in major cities? No, uh, that's that's actually not the case. We they use every theater chain. Oh, so, okay, all right. Yeah, they, I got this information. Then. That's helpful. Yeah, yeah, we're in over three thousand two hundred theaters, which you can't get without without getting all the national. Oh, chains. I see. Okay, again, yeah. we we plead ignorance because this is a, a <laughs> an industry about which we know next to nothing, which has <laughs> become painfully obvious during this conversation. But um, not at all. So uh, where where does one? So just go to angelstudios.com? Is that where? We'd yeah, find out. Angel, angel, angel.com. Angel.com. And it's, it's so wonderful. They've got this incredible technology where through their website now, you can go directly in your city. You can see all the theaters that are there. You can buy the tickets right through their website. Wow. You can buy them now. And then uh, one hour before the showtime, if you change your mind about the date or the time or the theater, you can change it um, even an hour before showtime. So they've got a kind of foolproof system. Yeah. Leo, can I just ask a quick question? Uh, again, pleading ignorance like Mary just did. I don't know anything about the film industry except you guys make magic. Um, oh, thank you. Is there any chance this could be up for an Oscar? Or is did you well, miss the uh, timelines? Or Yeah, timeline is fine. Listen, if, if all things were equal and, 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 and we're on an even uh, playing field, there's no reason the acting, the cinematography, yes, the yes, directing, mm-hmm, and the screenwriting. Yes. There's no reason. I mean, this is at the highest. Yeah, the cinematography level. is just breathtaking. Right. There's no reason. Uh, the score. Uh, yes. Zubac did just an amazing job on the score. We have an original song by Andrea Bocelli, his daughter. I don't know if you guys noticed a little orphan girl that sang in the window beneath the opera mm, yes. house. Yes. That's that's uh, that's Andrea Bocelli's daughter. No Virginia Bocelli. kidding. Uh, oh. And Andre- Andrea and our composer Gene Back. Um, composed a song that's at the end of the film. It's an original song at the end of the film, and it's just, it's going to drive you to tears. Yes, it does. It's so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. So, um, anyways, yeah, if all things are equal, then, you know, it it would definitely be nominated. But, you know, our our awards are 
to get her known. That's our reward. Right, yes. right, right, right. Well, yeah. we can certainly ask our listeners to pray for that Oscar opportunity because you certainly are well-deserving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, thank you so yeah, much. And, that and, and, means it, the world. Thank you. Yeah, it did. It certainly deserves it. And uh, listeners, you can go to angel.com to buy tickets in advance. It's a Friday night, so uh, get your girlfriends together and celebrate International Women's Day. By going out to see Cabrini, uh, you'll miss Stations of the Cross, but you can probably do that one Friday during Lent. I don't think the Lord would mind since you're <laughs> honoring one of his uh, servants. Well, you know, Leo, this has just been such a privilege to speak with you. And if there's anything Mother Cabrini's life proves, it that nobody is too small to do big things in God's plan. And Amen. that is certainly what she did and what you have done with this movie. So uh, please offer our sincere thanks and the promise of our prayers to everyone uh, working with you on this film. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. That's beautiful, and the privilege is all mine, and thank you, ladies, for all your good work. I appreciate it. God bless you. God bless you, Leo. All right, listeners, on the other end of the break, we'll wrap up the show. We've been with Leo Severino of the movie Cabrini, where you can figure out how to get your tickets at angel.com. Don't go away. St. Stanislaus Koska, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy, is open 24 hours a day, seven days per week, for adoration of the Blessed Sacrament in the iconic monstrance. The Blessed Sacrament is reposed during the celebration of Mass and during special events. St. Stan's doors are always open for adoration. Come anytime, day or night. St. Stan's is located two blocks north of Division on Noble, right off the Kennedy. Visit ststanschurch.org. We are the students of St. Stan's Lacoste Academy. Your children can join them for face-to-face classroom instruction. Visit ststandschicago.org to find out how. And you're listening to the Winds of Change. St. Stanislaus Koska Academy. St. Stan's is an exceptional private elementary school in Chicago, serving preschool age three and four, pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, and first grades. We incorporate Catholic values and rigorous academic social-emotional learning, Chinese, Spanish, STEM, and more providing our students with leadership and life skills to transform our world. St. Stanislaus Koska Academy is conveniently located one block north of Division on Noble, just off the Kennedy Expressway. To schedule your tour, visit ststanschicago.org. ststanschicago.org. And welcome back. This is Mary Fiorito and Loretta Freilich here on Winds of Change on AM 750. Thank you for listening. And uh, I guess when I wasn't here last week, there was some breaking news. There was, Mary. There's breaking news. We have the inside scoop on the Aid for Women dinner, which is going to be held at the Union League on September 26th, a Thursday night. So plan your schedule accordingly. It is a school night. Right. But But it's next day is a Friday. So if you want to stay out late. Own Mary Fiorito is going to receive the Presidium Vitae Award. Can you t- what's what kind of award is that, Mary? So the Presidium Vitae Award um, is uh, <laughs> award of which I am not deserving. I'll start with that. No, but it means, no, no, no. We're not means, hearing that. No, uh, you means, are so deserving. I don't know how you didn't get it right, earlier. Well, it, it well, you know, it was funny when they called and asked me if I would consider accepting it. Um, the the board member who called to speak with me about it said we had just all assumed you'd had it. Like. <laughs> 
over the last 25 years, at some point, you'd received it. And we looked back at our records and realized you hadn't. And um, Well, so at least they, they didn't ask so, for it back. Well, I've been a volunteer <laughs> at Aid for Women probably close to 30 years now. I mm-hmm. can't believe it's been that long. But um, right. so I was... Uh, a volunteer first, and then asked to join the board of directors, and um, served on the board of directors for 20 years, and then now I'm back to being a volunteer yet again. So um, it's an organization which I am so proud to be aff- affiliated with. Yes. It is uh, so. Aid for Women uh, was started by a permanent deacon of the Archdiocese of Chicago um, right after the Roe versus Wade decision came down, so about 50 years ago or so, and he um, started as a a group of pregnancy centers where women could receive initially, you know, when we were just starting out, um, information, diapers, kind of very basic things. But now God has blessed us so abundantly. We have seven different centers and two different maternity homes. Right. And he showed up at Joe Joe Scheidler's office to sell him a coffee system for his office. Mm -hmm. And he was so impressed as he waited there to speak with Joe. And then when he got the opportunity to speak with Joe, he switched from coffee to thinking, this is a mission for the deacons. Right, right. It should be, And his wife, yeah. Yeah. And um, so the permanent deacon program, we were so blessed last year to have a number of the candidates for the diaconate in in, uh, the audience, in attendance. And so, um, so, as you mentioned, um, and I and I say this not in any way to glorify myself, but really to um, hope hope listeners will come because the work of this organization is so important. Yes, and uh, we have women who have um, uh, w- without the maternity homes that we run uh, may very well not have had a place to live to be able to continue their pregnancy. We have had women who have lived with us for as long as three years, mm-hmm. and we have helped. Our our goal is to take every woman. Uh, and move her towards independence right. and independent living um, and to train her to be a good mom, to be a right. responsible mom, to be a loving mom, and to live independently and to support herself and her child. So that's that's our goal. So it's it's not just a place to live. I mean, no. there's uh, the, the moms attend parenting classes. They attend health classes. They attend school. Um, school. They uh, learn how to manage a checkbook. They learn how to manage a checkbook. They learn how to uh, cook. Create, create a budget. They learn how to cook, um, how to do a weekly meal plan and to organize and make, um, you know, healthy meals for their family. Yes. How to pack a school lunch that's right. nutritious and not filled sure. with, you know, Sugar. Um, flaming hot Cheetos, which is, <laughs> no, that's that's really oh. a thing. It's, and it's, oh, that's, tell me about And it. they're very addictive, flaming hot Cheetos, and that they are a particular um, uh, source of, I, addiction is probably not too strong a word, um, uh in in some schools, and so uh, we they we teach them how to you know pack good nutritious lunches, how to how to breastfeed. Yeah, a lot of moms, um, you know, grew up in homes and, and didn't have mothers who breastfed themselves. So we do breastfeeding classes, and um, so it's the whole package. It's yes. a holistic holistic approach to an unplanned pregnancy. Some women no- need more help than others. Right. Some women don't don't really need very much help from us. They just need encouragement and someone to go to the doctor's appointments. And some women need actually. You know, housing and well, uh, you know, you one know, of the things that, that so impressed me, Mary, about aid for women and housing. You know, the girls are able to stay for a certain period of time while they're carrying their baby to term, and then after their baby is born. But uh, some of the women 
completely change their lifestyles. Oh, yes. Completely oh. change who they live with. Completely change the resources around them. And some of these women came to us and said, um, you know, we want a place where we're independent living, but we have the women that we've gone through this together around us. So, mm-hmm. you know, Aid for Women built uh, or took a renovated a rector or a Con- convent. convent yeah. And it's a place where these young women and their and their babies have their own uh, place to live, but they have some common areas where they can get together and be a resource one to the other. Oh, yeah. It's and not just, no, that, it's a family kind that of. That to me is just that they, that these women came to them with a need and aid for women met it. Right. And and so. Yeah, so it's not like the YMCA where you just no. have your room and your hot pot in your room. No. It's not, it is, it is family style living. And so each woman and her child has their own private you know, sleeping area sure. and et cetera. But then, as you mentioned, there's communal communal living room, a communal dining room, a communal right. kitchen. Um, so everyone, um, and that's an important skill for people yes. to learn too, right? How to get yes. along with others, how yes. to manage conflict. Um, yes. And so that's, uh, you know, it, that can be the downfall of a, of a pl- operation like this if it's not managed carefully. Right. In fact, you know, many years ago, um, oh, what was the name of the community that they're... Um, I think they were Franciscans, but they attempted to, um, they didn't just attempt, they did have a home like this for expectant moms, but they found that if they had two moms whose, the baby's father were in rival gangs. Oh, oh yeah. They had violence. They had, Mm. you know, the men from the rival gangs showing up, trying, you know, and so um, they really had to change the way in which they accepted women, um, you know, to limit the number of gang affiliated um, well, let me jump in baby here, Mayor. And things. It's, it can get complicated. Is, well, is my it can't get complicated, but I want to jump in here and just kind of move off aid for women a smidge. It is not just your amazing volunteer work that is being honored in this award. I think they're also recognizing what a champion for life you have oh, been, wow. and. You know, the, the speeches you have given, um, the opportunity to choose life that you have made available to others in the March for Life. Um, you know, I really even think, too, I, I, it's it's really, I don't think there's anybody who debates the other side. And I'm not giving them any name rack, but there's nobody that can debate the other side like you. Oh, and I've thankful. seen yeah. you wash the floor. Oh. With Planned Parenthood leaders and with, you know, women that support abortion. And I really think that is also what they are on. Well, you know what? I mean, truly, Loretta, when I come to these things or anything that I've done in the pro-life movement, I've always really, I mean— just attempted to do whatever God's put in front of me at that particular time. So I, I feel like if I'm asked to do something, um, I need to I need to see that as God asking me, and mm-hmm. so just do it. So I I was terrified the first time I did a debate, and I I think that was the, probably the one debate I lost because I wasn't prepared. And but I learned, and I tell you, my next debate I was prepared, <laughs> and um, so it it is something you know it is a skill that you learn. Yeah, and part of it is you know. Um, you, you, the time that I've been in it, you know, I have a lot of institutional memory, which I think right. is is helpful. And, um, you know, it's it's being, you know, with Aid for Women, when you see, it helps you to understand, um, too, that when you tell someone choose life, it's for some women, this is a, 
this is a terrifying moment when they realize they're pregnant. And then Mm -hmm. there's more terror added to that when they realize the baby's father doesn't want them to have the baby. Uh. And so you learn the complexity of people's lives. But also on the other end of it, you just see the beauty of, I mean, we had one client, um, and I I love to tell our client stories because it just crystallizes the the point of the work. And she was from Englewood. So um, for listeners who might not be from our area, that's the poorest of the poor. Everything, not everything, but a lot of bad what's happening in Chicago is happening in Englewood. It's the most dangerous neighborhood in the city of Chicago. Um, So very poor, probably 99% African-American. And this woman came to us. She was 17. She was pregnant. The baby's father had a common-law wife with whom he had five other children. Oh, my God. And uh, she came to us looking for an abortion. She thought we were an abortion clinic. Uh, We do not in any way deceptively advertise, but she um, stumbled upon us. And so after kind of talking through things with her, showing her an ultrasound, uh, you know, her explaining to us, listen, I I have nowhere to go um, because baby daddy wanted her to have an abortion. And she uh, when she told him she had changed her mind, he got very angry. And so she moved in with us at Heather's house. And then we realized, you know, she doesn't have a high school diploma. So we worked with her to get her GED. So she got her GED. And then she said, you know, if I'm going to have a future for myself and my son, then I really need to go to college. I have to have some training. So we did some research and we found that there is a wonderful scholarship program called the Sister Thea Bowman Scholarship. named for, uh, So it is for parenting and pregnant African-American women. And so we were able to get her uh, that scholarship. We were able to work with her in her application. So now you look at her, and she has a beautiful six-year-old boy. She has a college degree. She has a good job. She has her own apartment. Look at that life completely transformed. And now Glory she's, to God. Yeah, and now she's a person of faith. She wasn't when she came, but now she prays every day. Uh, she attends church regularly. And she just has this little boy. She looks at him and just says, you know, he just fills me up every time I see Amen. him. And she said, I want to grow him up to be a good Christian man. Glory to and God. So, you know, you, you can give her the $300 for the abortion and send her on her way. Um, and she'll be traumatized for the rest of her life yes. until she reconciles that with well, God and, you know, through the opportunity of Rachel Weeps for her children. Yeah. Um, but what— we have to remember is it just sounded like like aid for women does what mother cabrini right did to go back to her for, yes. a, for a population that needed her assistance right and the scary part listeners we need to remember that these pregnancy resource centers have become the bullseye for the enemy now oh and, oh, and, and because they're successful, right? Yes. And with every woman who doesn't have that abortion, uh, you know, three between three hundred dollars and eighteen thousand dollars, depending on how far along she is in her pregnancy, mm-hmm. uh, can walk out the door with her. Yeah. Um, and you know what's interesting? Um, mm-hmm. Now in the United States, fifty percent of all our abortions are repeats. So women having their second, third, fourth, uh, because there's no legal limit on the number of abortions you have. So that that shows you that abortion doesn't solve any of the problems that bring the woman there no. in the first place. So no. if this a woman I'm, I'm speaking of, this client example I'm sharing, uh, had she gone and had that abortion, she would have been back in about six months, probably yep. pregnant again and yep. having another abortion again. And still living in a depressed Environment with no GED, with no GED, much less a college degree. Exactly. Um, and so no, it's it's uh, th- this is something that we do. You know that um, 
is is just something that it it's uh, it feels natural to me now. Mm-hmm. But you know, but the here's the thing too. The what I've learned, the problems aren't insurmountable. No. And when you look back five years later, you think, okay, was that easy? No. There were some rough patches we had. There sure. were days that were really hard. But you know what? Now look. I mean, it's look what God transformed. You know, you have a beautiful little boy, which I I am convinced the Lord's going to do something very powerful in this Always. Little, this young man's life. Um, you know, you've got your you've got your mother with her her college degree. Now she is a dignified person. And now when she goes back to Englewood, she's an example for the other young mothers Absolutely. in that community Absolutely. or other young girls who are pregnant and helping them to understand the value of chastity and of abstinence. And How would you like to be the mother of the common law father of this? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd so be, often, no, I mean, I'd be is, sitting there thinking, I've got five kids. Yep. This this woman has, and granted those children are a blessing, but this woman has a future and a plan for herself and her son. Yes. And so it's really— uh, Well, and this is, you know, in, it's interesting you should bring up that particular aspect because uh, she would not be the first woman that I know that was pressured into having an abortion by a man who was either having an affair— or was somehow involved in another woman and didn't want her to know that this one was. So when she got pregnant, he's pushing the abortion right? because he doesn't want the, the wife or whomever to find out he's been sleeping with this other woman. So it's for his convenience. Right. Uh, it, it is for his benefit that he's, you know, he can't get her to an abortion clinic fast enough. And that right. was the case here. Right. The and common I, law wife didn't know that she was. Of course you know, not. Of course not. So. Aid for Women does some incredibly life-transforming events, including allowing babies to take their first breath and continue to right. live. Well, we empower we empower women to make a choice in favor of their child and in favor of life. So um, you can find out more about Aid for Women or about the dinner by going to helpaidforwomen.org. Helpaidforwomen.org. Again, uh, our dinner is, this is, I think, our... Uh, 30th annual dinner. Our dinner is oh. always the third Thursday in September. Um, we do it just on the cusp of uh, Respect Life Month. Yes. And so uh, it's at the Union League Club in Chicago. So it will be, it is not a cheap ticket. It is a sacrificial ticket. Yes, it is. However, it is a beautiful evening. It is a full open bar. It is a delicious meal in a spectacular room with, oh. oh my goodness, with art from the Art Institute that decorates the walls. Um, you will you will have, uh, you know, 300 of your best friends in the same room. Yes. Uh, beautiful piano music accompanies the meal. Uh, you know, I, I cannot reveal the guest speaker yet, but it will be someone you'll want to listen to. And oh, um, last year of, was the head of Babylon B. Yes. And he was absolutely hilarious. Yes, he was wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's given up a—he a, must have given up a career in stand-up comedy. Yes, that he was— He was rem- so funny. Marvelous. And yes. So it's all—and, you know, the best— part of the dinner um, is that we, because it is a school night, we have, uh, we make a commitment, we even put it on the um, invitation that the dinner is over no later than 8.30. Right. We have you out that door by 8.30. We right. make that commitment. It starts at 5.30, so we start kind of right after work. Right. But you are out that door at 8.30 uh, because we do not want um, to keep anybody. We know people have children and have babysitters or have to get to work the next day. Right. So we make this as convenient as we can. There is uh, parking next door. There's a garage next door. You can go on Spot Hero to get a cheaper uh, parking rate. And uh, it's just a wonderful evening. And whether or not I was the awardee, I would be encouraging people to attend. Yes. And as always, Mary and I 
whenever we talk about the issue, we remind you that if you have had an abortion, you need not suffer alone. There is healing and reconciliation with Jesus in the Catholic Church. You can go to Rachel Weeps for uh, her children, right. and you can find an organization started by our friend Vicki Thorne. Right. Priests in the archdiocese have been trained, and they wait for your call. Yes, and so Project Rachel, again, just Google Project Rachel. If you're not in the Chicago area, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops have, have a website where they can direct you to a Project Rachel priest or counselor mm-hmm. anywhere in the country. So, well, this has been a beautiful conversation. Remember, go to angel.com to find out more about the movie Cabrini, helpaidforwomen.org to find out more about Aid for Women. And we'll look forward to being back with you next week. Have a great week. What's there to say when the world makes no sense? Do we search deeper truths or sit on the